Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our gospel proclamation comes from the Old Testament reading of Jeremiah, chapter 20, verses 7 to 13. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all the day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I've committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thus is the text for our gospel reading today which serves as the basis of our theme for this fourth Sunday after Pentecost. It's going to get worse before it gets better. A reckoning is coming, followed by redemption. A reluctant pastor had to come before a young leader and let him know that all his sin would be atoned for. Sins like oppression of the immigrant widow and fatherless, stealing, murder, adultery, swearing falsely and bowing to the altar of a false god. In a word, he made his kingdom a den of robbers. Sounds all too much like the temple in Jesus' day. And yet, this was long before. This pastor was given directions by God to use an illustration of a clay vessel to show the young leader that God made this leader's country. And because the leader refused to run it morally, it was to be smashed right in front of his face. And it was. A greater nation came from the north. An equally great nation came from the south. And the leader's country in the middle was smashed. And all the while, the pastor was given directive after directive to admonish the leader, but the leader refused to listen, even in the face of utter destruction at the hands of both his enemies, north and south of his country. Finally, in a desperate attempt to survive the enemy from the north, the leader aligned himself with the south, who ironically was the kingdom that had enslaved his people just 800 years earlier. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, they say. Apparently, no matter what they did, is your enemy in the past. And here is where our passage begins with our reluctant pastor 
the prophet Jeremiah, speaking to the Judeans under the young king, Jehoiakim. And Jeremiah's reluctance is understandable. When you see what the high priest Peshur has done to him for his accused insolence of simply smashing a clay flask and warning the king. Now, please, for a moment, let me set the scene for you. Just imagine a corrupt regime here in America, of all places. Imagine that regime using that corruption to punish you for speaking out against it. Okay, maybe this is a little more likely than most of us would like to admit. But now imagine if the national president of any Christian denomination, including ours, was given the authority to punish your pastor for speaking the truth of God's word to a corrupt government? That, I think we can all agree, is unimaginable. At least in my lifetime in America, I would never suspect that could happen, especially if it meant putting a pastor in jail for speaking the gospel. China? Okay, we know that is happening. Nigeria? Well, it's just happened this week to a Christian school by a rogue group of rebels, but not Christian leaders at last report. But that is still unclear who murdered over 50 students. But English police are arresting pastors for preaching the gospel in the streets of London. Canadian pastors can be detained as well for the same reason. And even our own American pastors have been accosted for their biblical views on abortion. But so far, I have not witnessed a single Christian leader act under the authority of any government in the world to imprison Christian pastors for preaching God's word. When that happens, we will indeed find ourselves as in the days of Jeremiah the prophet and kingdoms will be smashed like pottery thrown violently on cement floors. So this Pashur, the high priest, puts Jeremiah in the stocks for his insolence. And after being subsequently released, God sends Jeremiah's lesson today that Jeremiah reasonably is reluctant to give. Jeremiah knows he will be betrayed as the laughing stock of the kingdom. People will mimic his preaching with mocking imitations of the way he speaks, and his message from God will simply be rejected again and cause division amongst God's people. But what we might take to being a simple, whining little pastor, and maybe even suggest he needs to put on his big boy pants and deal with it, misses what seems to be happening with Jeremiah's inspired and inerrant word from God. Jeremiah, and his other book, Lamentations, demonstrates that Jeremiah is standing in for God. For what the people think about Jeremiah is actually what they think about God. And if this is what God's people think about God, let the lamenting begin. Because a reckoning is indeed coming. And it most likely will be unpleasant for everyone, to say the least. Oh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's what they tell you in military basic training. And... For those of you that have gone through it, you cannot even conceive of how it could be worse as bad as it is in the moment when they tell you that. 
and you're already getting up at four in the morning to do muscle failure physical training every day but Sunday. You're already training for 12 hours a day. And by training, I mean pushing yourself as hard as you can, trying to memorize your field manual while doing feats of strength and agility that you previously felt was impossible. But each week passes and you realize that you are doing everything you did before, but you're adding each week to the routines. So it does get worse. But finally, there comes a moment when the instructors seem more relaxed and now you're just preparing for final qualifications and nothing seems to be added anymore and you have a handle on it. You're more relaxed. You're ready to go to your unit. You're prepared. You know how to do your job. For just a moment in your military life, it is better. For me, that meant after both my trainings, split over two summers during college, just going back to college, joining my reserve unit there in Lincoln, Nebraska, the 5th Training Brigade, smooth sailing from there on out. But one guy I knew had to go to the division that manned the demilitarized zone on the 38th parallel right between North and South Korea. He told me that when he arrived, it was anything but smooth sailing for him. We all thought we were in the best shape of our lives when we finished training. But for the guys that went airborne, special forces, rangers, or to the DMZ in Korea, they found immediately they were in basic shape, not combat shape. For my buddy Weed, yep, that was really his last name, he told me on his first run with his unit that he was literally clinging to the jersey of the last soldier in the group to keep from falling off the run. The ultimate humiliation for any soldier in the army. Gasping for breath all the way. When he told me this, I was shocked. Because we used to sprint our three to five mile runs in basic and AID. I'm not sure I could ever run faster than that. Well, I found out when the enemy's just over the horizon and could shoot you at any given moment. You can and you will run faster than you ever thought you could. And even though Weed had a horrible beginning at his combat unit, even though it was worse for a time, he did say it did get better. The second half of Psalm 30, verse 5, comforts us saying, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. What a lot of people don't know is what the first half says. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. It all happened so fast. That's what I've heard people say when they were in the middle of an earthquake or a tornado or a devastating car crash. I've even heard it from people amid shootings, whether it was a police force shootout or a shooting in the desert that they just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Before they knew it, it was over. It all happened so quickly. I didn't realize it was happening until it was over. Wonder about that with Jesus in the temple when he showed a side that none of us are comfortable with. I do love that meme that says, when people say, what would Jesus do? We all need to remember that flipping over tables and whipping people with a rope is a possibility. But what was that moment like with Jesus? 
was a terrifying, like the aforementioned examples for the moneylenders there. I mean, it must have been because they flee their precious money. Maybe they even thought their lives were in danger. And yet, that is not the Jesus we see when the temple guard confronts him on the night in which he was betrayed. He submits to them at the kangaroo court of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. For these absolutely unrepentant sinners, weeping indeed tarried the night of Jesus' temple rampage, but their joy at eliminating their Savior was celebrated that Easter Eve. But their celebration was repentant sinners weeping. And even that only tarried for a night for true joy at the hope for redemption revealed itself for repentant sinners Easter morning. And I got to tell you, it's helped me to see that even though God can be a terror to evil consciences, he does ultimately love us and wants to redeem us from our evil actions eternally. Even when God wants us to do what we don't want to do, like Jeremiah, yes, it usually gets worse before it gets better. But it does always eventually get better. Jesus knew that like no one possibly could. For he walked the way of the cross, taking on the worst pain conceivable in the worst way probable through the cross to show himself alive and eternally better for us. Indeed, it got worse, but now it's better. Amen. Now may that peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.